Well, good morning, everyone. You know, I'm humbled to teach today on what I think is the most extraordinary prayer ever prayed. You see, it's short. It's only a ten-word prayer, but it is a prayer that has rocked the lives and the hearts of everyone who's ever heard it throughout all of history. It's Luke 23, verse 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know what makes this prayer so powerful? This prayer was uttered right after spikes were driven through Jesus' hands and feet by executioners, by men who played poker to see who would win rights of ownership to the robe that they had stripped off his back just before they had beaten and broken his body. Man, these men, they weren't choir boys. These men were so filled with violence, they were so filled with rage that the only role the Roman army could find fit for them was to be cold-hearted crucifiers. And these guys loved their job. They loved it. And it was on behalf of these men that Jesus looked toward heaven and he prayed that never-to-be-forgotten plea. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How powerful is that? I mean, what an example that Jesus set for us. To offer forgiveness as he's being crucified? As he's being killed? Man, does that not speak volumes on the importance of forgiveness? And I guess it really shouldn't come as such a surprise considering that time and time again, Jesus spoke on the importance of forgiveness. Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, Jesus said, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive yours. He said it. He said if we receive forgiveness from God, we must give it to others. He said there's no holding grudges. He said there's no seeking revenge. We're to trust God for justice and forgive the person who offended us. Now in Luke 6 verse 37, Jesus said, Do not judge. You will not be judged. Do not condemn. And you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. So he said it's in our best interests. To forgive. Not what's in the best interest of the person that needs to be forgiven. He said, this is for us. And then Matthew 5, verse 44. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then he practiced what he preached. Didn't he? I mean, he prayed for his enemies as he hung from a cross. 
grasping for breath. And he prayed for forgiveness for those who had wronged him. Now listen carefully because here's the main point for today. You're getting it early. And it's also not in the fill-ins for whatever reason. I don't know. So you've got your notes. I want you to write this in. It's very important. You can tell a lot about a person's heart by what they pray for when they've been wronged. You can tell a lot about a person's heart by what they pray for when they've been wronged. If I asked how many of you have ever been wronged, every hand in this place would go up. Because we live in a world filled with wrongdoers. We do. Take a glance at the person sitting next to you. Just go ahead and do it. They're a serial wrongdoer. That's why they're smiling. Keep an eye on them. But you see, as humans, we all make mistakes. We all do. We all say things that we shouldn't say. We all do things that we shouldn't do. I mean, you can't live in this world for very long without being wronged. You have no control over that. But you can control how you respond. And how you respond is a window into the condition of your heart. So today we are going to be looking at how Scripture tells us that we should respond when we are wronged. I'm going to talk about three categories today. Three categories of wrongdoings. Three obstacles that we all face on the road to forgiveness that makes it kind of complicated. But you see, with the Word of God and a heart for God, we can respond in ways that honor God. So we're going to take a journey today on the road to forgiveness. Now to get from where you're at to Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus' prayer of forgiveness, it can be a tough journey. You see, like any road that we travel, there are obstacles. There's always going to be things that slow us down. There's always going to be things that stop us. But make no mistake about it, this is a road that leads to freedom. This is a road that leads to happiness. No matter the offense in your life, no matter the abuse, the path to healing lies in forgiveness. You see, Jesus taught us this, and then Jesus showed us this. So the first category of wrongdoings that we all run into in life an obstacle that all of us face on the road to forgiveness is what we will call speed bumps. Speed bumps. Now, speed bumps aren't major. We make them major at times. 
But in the big picture of life, these are very minor wrongdoings, annoyances, really. I mean, when you're driving and you get to a speed bump, they just slow us down. That's it. They don't stop us. They don't make us turn around unless you come to this speed bump. I googled speed bumps and that came up. That's a giant snake. If you see that speed bump, turn around, run, change your undergarments, get away from there. But an actual speed bump is no big deal. They're easy to get over. You see, a speed bump is all the wrongs that all of us face every week. Some of us face them every single day. These are just little wrongs that are committed. I was wronged the first time that I met members of my now wife, Loretta's church. You see, she attended True Life Church in Greenville, Ohio. She was a youth director and a events coordinator for the church. And they were having their big Memorial Day cookout party. They had games, they had activities, they had a water wiffle ball where you had you played baseball, you had pools set up as bases, and there was a slip and slide that led into home plate. Now I gotta set this story up a little bit and tell you, confess to you that my wife is kind of clumsy. She is. I love her. She is a beautiful lady inside and out, but she's dangerous. She trips and she falls over everything. She's an accident waiting to happen. She tripped one time with high heels on and she jammed the heel into the top of my foot. I actually had a hole in my foot. I was driving one time. She pointed at something. She pointed her fingernail jammed into my gum and there's blood running down my face. So you always have to be on guard. So we get back to the game now. I didn't know all of this yet. I just met her not too long before that. So we're playing the game. We're on opposite teams. I'm playing third base. She gets a hit or a walk or something. I don't remember, but she was on first base. Now the batter that was behind her, he blasts this shot into the outfield. And she like takes off running as fast as she can. And I'm watching her run and I'm thinking... Are they drinking here at this party? (laughs) Well, she rounds second, almost falling in the pool, but now she's on her way to third base. That's my base. The outfielder throws me the ball. I turn and I see her coming straight towards me. And my mind, for the old timers in here, my mind flashes back to the 76 All-Star game when Pete Rose plows through Ray Fossey and separates his shoulder. So all this is like happening in slow motion. She attempts to stop, but she starts to fall with all her momentum and grace. She starts to fall sideways. Well, I start to worry, so I reach out, and I'm trying to catch her to keep her safe. But there was too much momentum. She just fell, and I mean she fell hard, and she just laid there. 
Now, from the view of the spectators that were watching, it looked like that I tagged her so hard that I threw her like eight foot. There's like total silence. And I had just met these people. It's like that snicker commercial. I wanted to get away. Trust me. And all you could hear, there's these two old ladies from the church that were in lawn chairs setting up watching the game. And they said, Loretta, tell your boyfriend this ain't football. (laughs) People's just looking at me, kind of shaking their head. You know, they're thinking, it's just a game, man. It's just a game. It was a good way to meet her family in Christ. They still give me dirty looks when I go over there and visit. So I was wronged. Now, in the big scale of things, is it that big of a deal? No. Makes for a good story. I've been treated worse. And the truth is, we are all wronged from time to time. I mean, we are all treated unfairly. We are all spoken negatively to. But it's how we respond that really matters. Because that shows where our heart is. So do you blow up? Do you yell at someone? Do you just kind of throw something? Do you pout for a while? Or do you just kind of roll over that speed bump and you just kind of go on? See, the truth is sometimes we take things way too serious. We make mountains out of molehills. We get mad at some of the darndest things. Well, so-and-so read my email. It shows that it was read, but they didn't respond. Call up the firing squad. That's a speed bump. Well, so-and-so was short with me today. How rude. Maybe they were having a bad day. We all have bad days. Maybe they got bad news that day. Maybe their kids are driving them crazy. But in the big picture of things, it's a speed bump. You forgive them and you move on. So here's what I'm driving at on the road to forgiveness here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there is scripture that talks about love. 90% of weddings use this. Used it at my wedding. I've used it in weddings that I've officiated. But it actually explains how all of us as Christ followers with our hearts filled with the Holy Spirit, how we are called to respond And it's verses 4 and 5. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. It's saying that we should be so filled with Christ's love, that we ought to become people who are not easily angered. It says we're to be people that are not easily provoked, is what another translation says. It's saying that, as a ser- that a serious-minded Christ follower should get his or her heart so filled with the kindness 
and the graciousness of God on a daily basis that when the minor irritations of life come our way, the everyday injustices that we face, the normal little infractions that happen when we're at work, that happen in our families, that happen in our friendships, we're supposed to have enough grace inside of us to easily overlook these little speed bumps. To easily forgive these tiny little injustices that happen. To quickly forget about them and just to get on with life. So everyday grace should easily overcome everyday speed bumps. Now in moments when things don't go just the way you wanted them to go, in moments when things maybe don't get said just the way that you thought they should have been said, that's when the condition of your heart is revealed for everyone to see. You see, you either have enough of God's grace filled up in your heart that you say, you know, speed bump. No worry. I easily overlook. I easily forgive. No problem. Or you do the opposite. And you fly off the handle. And you yell and you scream. And you hold on to that wrongdoing. And you, and you unfriend that person. And you tell everyone what a jerk that person is. I mean, how do you honestly react to speed bumps? When you're wrong, do you just kind of write that person off? You hold on to that anger. You see him coming and it's like, ugh. You just kind of turn the other way. You see, if this is happening with you, you need to check the condition of your heart. See, if you're holding on to every wrong that is committed in a single day even, man, you're going to be a very, very unhappy person. You're going to be holding on to a lot of anger. You're going to be very bitter. When you get offended or provoked, or just some little wrong comes your way. And you're at that point, you want to lash out at somebody. You're mad. You need to apply Jesus' prayer of forgiveness. But you just need to turn it. Say, forgive me. Father, forgive me, for I know not what I do. You say, you know, I've lost the plot here. I'm a treasured child of God that has been redeemed. I have the Holy Spirit. I've been blessed beyond measure. Heaven is awaiting me, and I'm getting tripped up over a speed bump. Father, forgive me, for I know not what I do. You see, you can tell a lot about a person's heart by what they pray for when they've been wronged. 
So now let's talk about another level of wrongdoing. Something else that gets in our way as we travel the road to forgiveness. Since we all drive in Muncie, we will call these obstacles potholes. Potholes. You see, unfortunately, these kinds of wrongdoings, they, they occur to pretty much all of us as well. And like speed bumps, they can slow us down. But the thing is, a pothole has the potential to do damage. You tear up a rim, tear your front end up. Let me give you some examples here. Let's say you have been wrestling with something in a private area of your life. And you finally gained the courage to kind of take that out of hiding. And you share it with a person that you trust. This is all biblical stuff to do, too, by the way. So you confess your battle, and this is like totally confidential. Then all of a sudden, other people know about it. People are talking about it. You've been betrayed. You've been wronged. You're embarrassed about it now. This is not just some little minor injustice that you just come up to and you just roll over and you just go. This becomes serious. Another pothole is what Chris talked about last week. He loaned a friend a large sum of money and that person didn't repay the money. So they reneged on their agreement. And when does, someone doesn't keep their end of a promise, it hurts. Especially when it's something that could hurt you financially. So this stuff tears apart friendships. It tears apart relationships. And this, all of a sudden, is an obstacle that is tough to get through. This is a pothole, and this pothole is causing damage in your life. So how does Jesus tell us to respond to this? Matthew 18, verse 15, says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. So this is Jesus talking. He says if there's a riff of some sort, if there's friction in a relationship, you go to that person. You do it. Jesus says you don't sit by the phone. You don't wait for a text message. You don't send some crappy thing on Facebook. You actually go to that person and you initiate the reconciliation. You initiate it. And notice he says, just between the two of you. Just between the two of you. So you go alone. There's no ganging up on people. You don't get all your buddies and say, hey, guess what so-and-so did to me? I'm getting ready to go over there. You don't expose to anyone else what your conflict is about. It's between you and it's between that person. I've been on both ends of this. Both ends. 
I've went to someone to attempt to resolve an issue. And I've been approached with someone that had a conflict with me. And I was impressed the way they did it. It was God-honoring. They didn't come throwing out, yelling at me with their fists all clenched. They came with a heart wanting to solve this. They came to me in private. And you know what? I was the one that was wrong. I didn't realize it until we sat down and talked about it. And it was explained that way. But I was the one that was wrong. So when you hit a pothole and there's damage, that damage has to be fixed. You say, hey, I have a problem. And I'm coming to you believing that if we sit down, we can patch this and then we can move on. So you go in private. And I'm guessing that this works like 90% of the time. Now, what about the other 10%? Let's go to verse 16. It says, But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So you take a mutual trusted friend along if you don't get the problem solved the first time. Someone that you both trust, a neutral party. If this is an issue between people, two people here in the church, you take one of the elders. I'm one of the elders. Abby Guthrie is one of the elders. We'll go. You got to have someone to help you guide things here. You have to have someone to kind of listen, mediate. Someone that helps resolve this. So now we know how to go about resolving these conflicts. What does Jesus say about when we should do this? Does he say, you know, just give it a couple weeks. Let's let it die down a little. Or does he say, you know, maybe when you build up enough courage, try to build some courage up and then go over there. This is what he says. It's Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. He says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. So he's saying, imagine you're in a worship service. And there's people that are singing and worshiping and giving. And during the middle of that worship service, the Holy Spirit kind of taps you on the shoulder and reminds you that you and -and so-and-so are not okay. A little bit of your fault, a little bit of their fault, doesn't matter. God says, before you sing to me, before you worship me, before you give your offering to me, you get this taken care of. 
That's how important this is. You take care of this now. You get up and you leave. You make this attempt, reconciliation, and then you come and you offer your praise. Then you come and you offer your gift. Man, that's how important this is to God. Friends, potholes ruin too many relationships because people just write the other person off. They turn their backs and they let all this anger build up. And then all of a sudden, you got weeks that turn into months and you got months that turn into years and you hear about it all the time. Somebody dies and you never had that chance to go to them. So the time just passed you by. And you're never getting it back. Jesus says now because he knows what happens the longer we just let things go. I mean, if you have a problem with someone, deal with it now. At least what you can do. Because you may do everything that Jesus says. And the other person may say, I'm going to hold on to this anger. I don't want to fix this. I'm going to hang on to this grudge. Romans 12 verse 18 says, So far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all people. You can't control the other person's response, but you can make sure your side of the road's clean. And if you've done your best and that other person won't reconcile, know what? You're clean before God. Get on with your life. You can tell a lot about a person's heart by what they pray for when they've been wronged. Now I want to talk about one more obstacle on this road to forgiveness. And this is a category three level of wrongdoing. We call these roadblocks. Roadblocks. You don't just roll through these. You don't just uh, sit down and work these out. Because these stop you. A roadblock is a dreadful injustice. It's a life-shattering wrongdoing. It's an unthinkable act. And most of us will never come across a roadblock. Thank you, Jesus. But for those that do... They're stopped by it. Richard Stearns, the president of World Vision, has a book called The Hole in Our Gospel. And in this book, he tells a remarkable story about a woman named Margaret Achero. Now see, Margaret was caught in the fighting in northern Uganda 
fighting that was propagated by a group called the Lord's Resistance Army. And one day, Margaret, who was six months pregnant, she was out in her garden and she was working with several women from the village. When out of the bush appeared a small battalion that had entered their village. And the group of soldiers was really just a group of children. They were led by an adult commander. You see, it's common in a lot of parts in Africa for children to be snatched away from their families and then brainwashed into committing horrible atrocities against people. So Margaret and her friends found themselves face to face with this band of soldiers. And this band of soldiers came to the village. They were looking for food and they were looking for supplies. And as they weren't satisfied with what they had received, they began to unleash a massacre on Margaret's friends. The child soldiers were killing these women with their machetes. And when they turned toward Margaret, the commander told him to stop. He felt that it would be bad luck to kill a pregnant woman. So instead, he gave a command for the children to cut off Margaret's nose, her ears, and her lips. Then they threw her in a field to die. Margaret was rescued. She was taken to a hospital where she underwent multiple operations, and then she was taken to a rehab center that was headed up by World Vision. The World Vision counselors, they began to deal with not just the physical trauma that Margaret faced, but the emotional, the spiritual, the relational stuff that she had undergone. And her heart slowly began to heal. She spent the next several months at that clinic and she gave birth to a, to a little boy that she named James. Now imagine Margaret's horror when one day at the rehab center, one day at this place of safety, a group of counselors walked into the center courtyard with the commander of that group that had committed that act. This commander, he had been captured. And he had been brought to the same place. The counselors at the time didn't know the connection there. They were only hoping to offer him spiritual help to get him turned around. And imagine the, mo the emotions that she must have felt when she saw this man. I mean, the anxiety, the fear, the horror, the feelings of revenge. I mean, she must have been, had a desire to run away as fast as she could, but she probably had a desire to take this guy out as well. And Stern said what happened next could only be understood through the power, through the miracle of God's love. A demonstration of the incredible power of the gospel to redeem even the darkest kinds of people. Counselors began to work with this commander. Commander. 
And at first he denied everything. Denied anything that he had done, anything that he had committed during the war. But eventually his heart began to soften. Counselors continued working with Margaret. And several months into all of this, there was a meeting that was planned between the two. Through tears and humility, the commander bowed his head and he begged. He begged for Margaret to forgive him for what he had done. And she supernaturally found the means and the will to do it. And there's a picture in that rehab center of that commander sitting in the compound holding baby James. With Margaret Attero in the background smiling without any lips. And what a story. What a demonstration of the incredible power of the gospel to redeem the darkest evil that we can think of. I mean, only God can do that. Only God can do that. And only through forgiveness can something like that happen. You see, when facing a roadblock, the only way to move forward is forgiveness. That's it. You see, forgiveness is not about your past. Forgiveness is about your future. Jeremiah 29, verse 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. You see, what, what I can be sure of today is there's probably not a person in this room that truly gets Margaret's story. It's too horrific. It's too traumatic. It's a story that's too far outside of the box. But I can be sure of this. I can be sure that 100% of you that are sitting in here today have been cut. You've been cut deeply by someone in your life. I'm sure of that. You've been cheated. You've been cheated on. You've been criticized. You've been abused, some of you as a spouse, some of you as a child. You've been abandoned, you've been cut and you're wounded. And you're holding on to all that. You see, whatever was done to you, it pierced your skin and you keep digging at it. 
you keep looking at it and you keep digging at it and you're not giving it a chance to heal. You see, forgiving others, it releases us from anger. It allows us to begin to receive that healing. It allows us to be able to move forward. It doesn't justify what was done. It doesn't justify the person who did it. They don't receive forgiveness from God for it. That's His job. But forgiveness makes a path for our healing to begin. And you may be thinking... You know, this person doesn't deserve my forgiveness. But it's not about them. It's about you. Those who killed Jesus didn't deserve it either. Crown of thorns, pounded into his scalp, stripped and scourged, nailed to a cross, his hands outstretched, grasping for another breath. Everybody laughed at him. Everybody jeered him. Even the people next to him, the criminals, they mocked him. And they did all of this in front of his mom. And he raises his head and he says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. I want you to pull out the piece of paper in your bulletin that's got that scripture on the top of it. And if you do not have one, raise your hand so you can get one because this is very important. Some hands are up, so if we can get them. Over here. We're going to play a video to close today. And during this video, I just want you to think about that person that has caused you so much pain. That has done that something to you that you're just holding on to. And you just refuse to let go and it's continuing to control you're now, and it's going to continue to control your future. That person that betrayed you, that person that cut you. I want you to pray about it, but you probably already know who it is. And during the video, I want you to write that person's name down, just a first name. That's all you need is a first name on it. And during that video, I want you to bring it up. And I want you to drop it in one of the baskets that are, there's a basket here, there's a basket over here. Just a first name, nobody's going to see it. And I just want you to come up and I want you to let go. I want you to let go of it. Because forgiveness is all about letting go.
Remember playing tug-of-war as a kid? As long as people on both ends are tugging on the rope, there's a war. Let the war be over. Today, actually, let go of your end of the rope. You can tell a lot about a person's heart by what they pray for when they've been wronged.